First Peter chapter two, verse twelve. Having your conduct honorable among all gen- among the Gentiles, and when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. You may be seated. And please pass those attendance cards to the inside aisle, or if you don't want to do that, you can just put those cards in the boxes in the back. Appreciate that so very much. We are in the middle of a new sermon series. The sermon series is based on the third verse of 1 Peter. In Jesus, we have a living hope. A living hope. Now, I want to invite you to come back this evening at 6. The next lesson in this series is called God's Love. Now, why are we doing this sermon series? It goes back to that series we did on your five. Remember your five? Those are five people that you love. Five people that are dear to you. They're important to you. But these five people are not faithful Christians. If they don't change, if they don't change, their eternal reward is hell. And we don't like to think about that. So we're concerned about our five. We want to pray daily. We want to live for Jesus 24-7 in front of them. We want to encourage them. We want to positively promote God's church to them. And we want to look for that open door when they open it so that we can get to their hearts, so we can take the message of Jesus to them. In this series on 1 Peter, and 1 Peter is based on this one concept, we're looking today at perhaps the most important lesson in this series. To influence your five. And you know you want to do it. You know you want to help them. To influence your five, you must know and you must be. Before we get to that lesson, let me remind you that not all of old sayings are necessarily true. You know, in the summertime when it's really hot, we may say, well, he is sweating like a pig. Did you know that pigs have very few sweat glands? Pigs don't really sweat. They get out in the, in the wet mud to cool down. Or, or maybe during a heavy rainstorm, someone will say, it's raining cats and dogs. Really? Literally? Raining cats and dogs? Or someone will say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words... Words can hurt the worse. Or someone will say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Wrong. All he got to do is just feed him a lot of salt, and boy, will he drink. And that leads us to our lesson today. You have a deep desire for your five to drink the living water of salvation. That Jesus offers to all. But they don't seem to want to drink. 
That's the problem. You can't seem to want them to get them to drink. They don't seem to be the least bit interested in spiritual things. So they often just brush off your attempts to tell them about Jesus. Does this sound familiar? If I think, I think if I ask for a show of hands, I think every one of us who have thought about our five, we would raise our hand. Yeah, they're not interested. I've tried and tried and tried. If that's the case, you need this lesson today. This is the most important lesson for you in this sermon series on 1 Peter. The question is, <clears throat> how? How can you feed them the kind of salt that will make them thirsty for Jesus? How can you present Jesus in such a way that they will want to get to know him personally? Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. To offer up spiritual sacrifices. There's something that we need to do. Something that involves us to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What's Peter saying? Peter is saying this. God is building a spiritual house. Well, not with brick and mortar, but with living stones, with people who have come to Jesus like you and, and like me. That means together we are a holy temple. We do not do anything in the church really by ourselves. We never do anything in the church really by ourselves. When we go and do a good deed, when we are involved, we take Jesus with us. We take God the Son with us. We take God the Father with us. We take God the Holy Spirit with us. And we take our brothers and sisters with us. We are a team together. Look now at verse 6. Therefore, <clears throat> when you see the word therefore, you have to automatically go back to what has just been said. In other words, because of what I've just said, now here is the conclusion. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scriptures. Peter says this is something that goes back into the Old Testament. Behold, I lay in Zion, that's Jerusalem, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. The church started in Jerusalem. Acts 1, verse 8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the world. Therefore, huh, once again, that word therefore. Therefore, to you who believe, 
Christians. Christians. He is what? Precious. But to those who are disobedient, circle that word disobedient, I'll come back to it. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient, once again that word disobedient, to the word to which they also were appointed. Some of your five are going to refuse. Let me just tell you right now. Some will refuse. The odds tell us that. Those who refuse to be persuaded by the word are destined to stumble over Christ. That's literally the meaning of the word disobedient. It describes someone who refuses to believe or someone who refuses to be persuaded. You are not responsible for the answer from your five. You are only responsible to take the message to them. You are not responsible for their yes or no. You are only responsible for taking the message to them. You see, people fail to believe in Jesus not because they cannot believe. God has given us enough proof. God has given us enough facts that belief, that faith, it's easy. I mean, you'd be a fool to believe in anything else. They do not believe in Jesus because they will not believe. They make the choice to not believe. Faith is a choice. And those who choose not to believe in Jesus stumble and fall over Him. He is scandalous to them. He is offensive to them. You know, there are people in the world today who take offense at Christianity. They have a very bad view of Christianity. They have made that choice. But for those of us who choose to believe in Him, we find Him to be precious. Go back to verse 7. Jesus is precious, literally, to be honored, to be valued. Why? That's because he is the foundation stone, the cornerstone that gives stability and direction to all of us who trust in him. We find our stability, we find our direction, we find our purpose for life in Jesus. So how? Here's the big question. How do you help your five to have those same feelings? You know what they need. It's like, it'd be like, you know, you're at their house and a massive killer tornado is bearing down. You are aware of that. You know where safety is. You know where the storm shelter is in that area. And you say to them, come, let's go to safety. And they refuse to go. So how do we do it? Two big words. Know and be. Know and be. 
Follow along with me in the lesson today. Notice verse 5. Go back to verse 5. Offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. When we become a Christian, it doesn't stop there. We don't say, well, I'm a Christian now. I've got my ticket punched for heaven. I can just lay back and wait for the day. We are required to do something. We're required to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Well, what are, what are spiritual sacrifices? In other words, God wants us to bring him something. What? God wants us to bring him our very lives. God wants us to bring him all of our words. God wants us to bring him our deeds. Why? Because God can take our words. God can take our deeds. God can take our lives and he can use them to bring your five to himself. This is key. Hebrews 13. Therefore by him let us continually, continually, don't miss that word, continually offer the sacrifices of praise to God, not just on Sunday morning. Continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good. To do good. And to share, for with such sacrifices, go back to what it said in verse 5 in 1 Peter, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Our words and our good deeds, when offered up in dependence upon Jesus, are sacrifices which are acceptable to God. But not only that, we ourselves, our very bodies, when offered to God, are holy and pleasing to Him. Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. When we bring our words, when we bring our deeds, when we bring ourselves to the Lord, then God in His grace uses us to bring your five to Himself. Our words, our deeds, ourselves, and the people who come to faith in Christ through our witness. Notice the word in red there, witness. These are the kinds of sacrifices God wants us to bring. These are the offerings that are acceptable and pleasing to Him. So if we want to influence your five, you must know who you are. Who are you? You are a follower of the Christ. You are a dedicated believer in Jesus. You are a Christian, not just on Sunday morning, but 24-7. It is our hope. It is our wish. 
It is our prayer that we all live for Jesus 24-7. You hear that twice a day. You are living stones in a holy temple. But more than that, you must be God's special people. It's more than just knowing, it's doing it. You know, I know the advantage of dieting. I know the advantage of dieting. Jonathan, I don't diet. Shh. It's more than just knowing. It's doing. We must be God's special people. We are, <clears throat> we are not only a holy temple, we are a holy nation of Christians put together to declare God's virtues to a world in darkness. Verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of what? Darkness. Darkness. Unto His marvelous light. You once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not attained mercy, but now have attained mercy. Exodus chapter 19. God reminds His people. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. You see, Israel was that special nation. The Israelites were God's special people in the Old Testament. Gathered together to be a positive influence on the godless nations around them. But here's the problem. They forgot who they were. They forgot who they were. Instead of seeing themselves as God's special people, they imitated the godless nations around them and unfortunately adopted their practices. What did they do? They blended in. They blended in and lost their influence. Are we blending in to society? Are we blending in and becoming more like them than them becoming more like us? Are we blending in? My friends, let's not forget who we are. We are designed to be living advertisements for the virtues of God as His holy temple and His special people. And as such, our lives should reflect the wonderful light into which He has called us. You see, it's a matter of to know. It's a matter of to be. To know to be. Three quick stories, and the lesson is almost over, about people who failed to know and be. 
17 years ago, I was in a Bible study with a man. He was a young family man, had children. We normally would meet at my office to study. And I, I told the, uh, the guy that was in charge, you know, Clayton, you're kind of in charge of the water back here. You know, I told the guy, hey, make sure that water is ready because I think in the, in the next week or two, we're going to have a baptism. Make sure that water's ready. Make sure the baptistry is ready. Because I just knew that he was that close. One study he wanted to do at his house. So he texted me the address. I looked at the address and I knew the area. I knew that neighborhood. I show up at his house and we sit down to study. And I make mention, hey, hey, I don't know if you know this, but the guy that lives directly across from you here, just, just outside the window there, the, on the other side, that guy's a member of the church. A whole different look appeared on his face. I knew I had said something wrong. I just didn't know what I had said wrong. He said, I, I thought a Christian... I thought a question didn't drink. Uh-oh, what have I done? I said, well, a, a Christian should not be, uh, you know, should not be an alcoholic. That's true. You need to know this. In, in that city, that city sanitation department, we didn't have the, the barrels with the wheels on it. You actually literally put out on the curb your garbage bags. You know what I'm talking about. Remember when Paragould, you put out your garbage bags? You know? And since garbage bags often are not, very, you know, you can't hide a lot of stuff, you know, you knew what your neighbors were throwing away. You know, like around Christmas, you know, you knew what your neighbor got for Christmas because you could see, you know, the boxes and stuff, you know. It turned out that that Christian across the street would buy a couple of those big, I don't know, they're 24 cans in a case or 30 cans, whatever it is, a beer a week and bring it home. And my student had seen the evidence of all that beer that he bought every week. And you need to know that this, this young adult father had been raised by an alcoholic, abusive dad who had abused both him and his mom. He had a very low opinion of anyone who drank alcohol. I never baptized that man. Story number two. I was doing a Bible study with a with a sweet lady, I was so excited because I knew she was going to be baptized really soon. And we got talking one day and I mentioned my sister, you know, and she said, well, let me, I've never told you about my sister. And she talked about uh, her sister who had worked at a certain factory for 21 years. I said, oh, I know that factory. In fact, uh, one of our church members is the plant manager of that factory. 
Here is literally what happened. She slammed her Bible shut as fast as she could. I went, "Uh uh-oh, I've said something now. It turned out that, yeah, her sister had worked at that factory for 21 years, but had quit and had started a new job, had delayed her retirement because of having to start a new job, because that Christian plant manager wasn't a Christian at work. The words he said, how he treated the employees, how he bullied people, his anger, his temper. I never baptized that woman. Third quick story. I officiated the funeral of a Christian man, a grandfather. After the funeral was over, the widow asked me, Michael, I've never asked you to do this, but would you go talk to my grandson? They only had one child that was a daughter, and that daughter only had one child, a grandson. I said, I'd be glad to. I've never turned down a request to go talk to somebody. So I go talk to this grandson, and we sit down, and I notice he's got some baseball things up on his wall, and I'm a baseball guy. So we talked, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes about baseball and all of this. Then I finally got to the point of my visit. I said, hey, I'm here because your grandmother asked me to be here. She would love for you to... um, Come back to the church. You see, this young man had been baptized as a teenager, but was no longer faithful. He was now in his upper 20s. I said, it's important to your grandmother. He said, it wasn't important to my grandfather. Okay, I don't know what's going on. You see, it I'd only been at that congregation for about a month when the grandfather had died. What do you mean? He said, well, besides baseball, the other thing I enjoy doing is fishing. In fact, that was something that me and my grandfather did. We both enjoyed fishing. And we both knew the best places to fish. And I often would see my grandfather on Sunday morning in a boat out there fishing when I was fishing in a boat. That grandfather's lack of priority for the Lord's church resulted in me never being able to get that grandson back to the church. But really, it's more than three people. It's more than the man who had the neighbor, who was an alcoholic, I found out. It was more than that sweet young lady that had a sister who had been around a bad boss who was supposed to be a Christian. And it's more than that young man, that grandson. Think about their spouses. Think about their children. 
Think about their friends that could have maybe become Christians. It was more than just three people we lost. We lost the potential for dozens of new Christians. Why do we lose? Because we had three people who didn't realize how important it was to know and be. We had three people who didn't realize how important it was to know and be. To influence your five, be the light that God has called you to be. For right now, I want you to think of the most dedicated Christian you ever have met. For just a moment, think about the most dedicated Christian you have ever met. For me... I'm thinking about a sweet, sweet sister in in Christ. Oh, super dedication. I'm telling you right now, to influence your five, you've got to be more than that person. You've got to shoot for the best. If you want to hit the target, you've got to shoot for the best. If you want to influence your five, be even better than that person that you consider to be the best example of a Christian. Look at verse 11, verse 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Rise above it. Don't be like the world. Don't blend in. Having your conduct What's conduct? How you live your life. We're talking about 24-7. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, when they make their false accusations, they may by your... Huh? What? What? What, Peter? What, what are you saying here? By your good works. By your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Do you really want to reach your five? How important is your five to you? Do you want your five to be in heaven with you? Do you want to reach your five, the ones that are even maybe hostile to the church? Or at best indifferent? Then know who you are and be who you are. One last story. And then the lesson is totally over. It was 2015. The youth group of several congregations decided to come together to do a service project in a community that was somewhat poor, in a neighborhood that was somewhat poor. They went into that neighborhood to paint, to clean up, uh, to do a little some fix-up work, you know, whatever they could to help people in that community. They had decided to all have the same shirts. They had a t-shirt made up with uh, the name of what they were doing printed on the t-shirt. It was bright yellow. You couldn't miss it. They were in that community working, and one of the adults that were helping to lead the effort was walking back to his truck to get a few things. And he noticed a woman and a man out in their yard. Uh, The the man had a a weed whacker, you know, weed eater, trimming the yard. And 
and the woman was out uh, working on a flower bed. And he just made a comment. He said, oh, those roses, you were doing a great job on those roses. They were so pretty. The husband looked up, saw the wife talking to this worker from the church. He immediately puts down the weed eater. He runs over to where the woman and the man are talking. And he said, I love what you're doing for our community. You're making a difference. I love your heart. Where can I get a heart like that? Open door. Remember, open door. Open door. The man said, I would love to come into your house right now. I need to get my Bible. And I can show you where that heart comes from. It comes from Jesus. That man and woman were both baptized later that day. And those youth group kids celebrated that baptism. And they became best friends with those new Christians in that community. Why? Because we had a group of people who knew what it meant to be a Christian and they were a Christian. They knew and they were to know and to be. Here is God's simple plan of salvation. It's not complicated. If you are a Christian, do you need to seek forgiveness? The church stands ready to pray with you and for you. If you have any need to respond, we'll have two elders up here. They love you. They want to help. Will you please come as we stand and sing for your encouragement?